Amen. I want to talk to you today and for the next few Sundays about getting clear with Christ. Getting clear with Christ. And this morning I want to talk about seeing Him with 2020. Seeing Him in 2020. I took a picture on the next slide. I think it shows it. I took a picture of my oldest daughter, Ariana, holding the moon. How many people have done pictures like this? You'll see people in front of the Eiffel Tower and they'll put their hands up. It looks like you're holding an object, something far away. And uh, what's interesting about that idea and photos like that, where we can hold the moon or the star, you know, in our hands, is that something I know is so big, right? That moon is really huge. But because it is far away, it can seem so small. You know, I have a telescope. I love to get our telescope out and go uh, out in our backyard and, and see the stars and look at the moon. And we have this little app that we can find Saturn and, and see Jupiter and Saturn's rings and all that kind of stuff. I, I really like NASA. I like going to the Space Center and stuff like that. I've always loved that. And I know that that is a big object. And maybe if I get a telescope and I look at it the right way, sometimes on those great harvest moons or those blood moons or whatever, you can say, oh, my gosh, wow, that's huge. It's enormous. You zoom in on a crater and you're like, it just means a lot more when you see those pictures. Or maybe you've seen pictures from the Hubble telescope online. Or, and that's about as good as you can get of a wow factor. Few of us, almost none of us in this room will probably ever go there and see it in real life and just get the glimpse of, oh my gosh, the moon is huge, right? To walk on it. It's an experience that I can only imagine. Only a few people in the history of the world have ever walked on the moon. But it's that same thought. I know in my mind it's big, but because it's far away, it seems so small. And in fact, we can even hold it in our hands. I think sometimes in Christianity, and for many people, even in America and the modern church today, that's the same with Jesus. We can doctrinally know we may have been brought up in church, and someone could ask you, uh, even a stranger on the street who may not even have a relationship with a local church, yes, I know there is a God, I believe in Jesus, but yet in their life, and maybe even in your life today, you might know that he is big, but because he feels so far away, he seems really small. In fact, we walk with our life as if he is in our hands. Well, this is my little Jesus. Have you met him? This is my little Christianity. Yeah, here, here he is. Yeah, I pull him out of my pocket, and, and he's, I know he's big, but really, if I got honest with myself and my life, he's very small. We have a very big, important life in America and have a very little Jesus. How many people know that's true? We often have a very big, busy life and we have a very little Jesus. Oh, yeah, I may know in my head he's big, but in reality, this is how I view him. I view him like my little Jesus. Look at him over there. Isn't he cute, right? And I, there's a few reasons, I think, that why he can seem so far away. In this world, this earth seems to make itself a lot bigger, and Jesus seems very small to the world today. You and I serve a dead religion and a dead Christ. To the world, we belong, if you read the news or listen to the news much, we, we belong to a hypocritical, judgmental, patriarchal, closed-minded belief system. 
The world, uh, it often exalts power and pride and pleasure and prosperity. And to succeed, you've got to bow down to one of these other gods. To rise up the corporate ladder, think about this. To rise up the corporate ladder, you have to cheat your values. You're going to have to cut down others. You're going to have to sacrifice your family to the God of work. To be famous, you're going to have to sell your body to the God of sex. And to be successful, you must require a lot of nice stuff like TV and clothes and vehicles and boats and houses and go on those nice vacations and post it on Facebook because you're going to sacrifice to the God of pleasure. To have position and power, you're going to have to sacrifice your morals to the God of debauchery or immorality. You're going to have to abandon the sense of virtue and truth if you want to have position and power in this country. How many people know that's true? If you stand out or apart, we've seen in the last years, for holiness, you'll be mocked, you may be exiled, you may be limited in your job. We've seen Christian schools and and adoption agencies and bakers and photographers lose their businesses or be sued for standing apart for biblical morality. It's easy in a world today, and teenagers especially, for true, authentic, spirit-filled Christians to feel they have much power. It's easy today in your life as you go into corporate America or you watch the news or you see the environment of social media that we live in that Jesus feels so very small. He feels so very distant. And this world and our busy lives seem so very big. How do you see Jesus? This is what's going to make all the difference in your year. How do you see him? Do you see him in perspective? Do you see him with full clarity? Because we're talking about getting clear, having a true revelation of who Jesus Christ really is. Somebody say, I'm going to put on my glasses this year. Amen. How do you see Jesus? How big is your Jesus? And maybe today you've been trying to live this Christian life by your own power and Jesus you have is a little too small. I'm going to tell you this. Those who seek him, see him. Revelation chapter 1, verse 9. If you're there, somebody say amen. Let me give you the background of this. Those who seek him will see him. It has been 30 years. Okay, travel back in time with me. It's been 30 years since Peter and Paul, some of the greatest apostles and followers of Christ who ever walked the world, have died. You and I are a part of this movement called the early church. And our last apostle, the last guy who ever actually walked with Jesus, his name is John. He was the beloved apostle. He wrote the gospel of John. And now he has been exiled to a, tall, a small 10 mile across island called Patmos. We live in a day of Roman paganism. That is that you can believe in anything you want and any gods you want. So long as you do one thing, you must bow down to the emperor as God. You must uh, identify in the marketplace with God to buy, to sell, to do your banking. You must make a sacrifice culturally. We don't care if you really believe it or not. We don't care if you really uh, put it on your wall or that you're really serious about it. But to do business with us, and to fellowship with your family, you must culturally agree. 
that we believe in all these gods, but there is one big God, one almighty God, and that is the emperor. In fact, there's an emperor at this time by the name of Domitian. And Domitian has been, while Nero killed uh, Paul and, and there was a great persecution, Domitian, now this new emperor coming in the 80 years after Christ's birth, he has set himself up above all other gods. In fact, if you go to some of these towns, his statue will be above all the other statues. His name will be on the currency. He says that he's the name that is above every name. He is the king of all kings. And in fact, every year you must pay tribute verbally that he is God. If you don't, guess what? You're going to lose your economic status. You're going to lose your relationship. You might even be arrested, tortured, even crucified, killed, or hung. The fear of arrest, of torture, the fear of a loss of economic privilege, the loss of your family is very real. And John the Apostle sees Jesus. And he wants his churches to see Jesus too. Look in with me in Revelation chapter 1, verse 9. He writes this, he says, I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, write in a book what you See, everybody say the word see. Write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having heard, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like the Son of Man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze and had been made to glow in a furnace. His voice was like the sound of many waters. And in his right hand, he held seven stars. Out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. His face was shining like the sun in its strength. And when I saw him, think about that just for a minute. When I saw him, you know, one day, if you believe in him, you'll see him. When, can you imagine, this is the beloved disciple the man who was at the cross with him, the man who saw him ascend into heaven in the clouds, the man, one of the last people to see him, and it's been years since he's seen him, and he saw him as a, as a wounded carpenter's son who goes up into heaven, but he says, but when now, years later, nearing the end of my life, when I saw him, how many people want to see Jesus in 2020? To really, really see him. Maybe you knew him as a child. Maybe you've heard stories about him. Maybe you've heard church services about him. Maybe you've heard pastors talk about him. But John says, but when I saw him, really, I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And then he did something. He placed his right hand on me saying, do not be afraid, I am. He's that great I am. He says, I am the first and the last, the living one. I was dead and behold, I am. I'm alive forevermore and I have the keys of death 
and of Hades. Somebody say, Amen. John is telling us in this moment that the Holy Spirit is rolling back the curtain, one translator says. He says the Holy Spirit is rolling back the curtain to let the churches see. The wounded church, the church that's oppressed, the church that the whole world seems bigger and Jesus seems very far off and very small. And that's what's very much happening in the world today. If the devil can make you think it's a little bitty Jesus, that he's far off, that your problems are big today, that this economy is bigger, that these politics are bigger, that man's power is bigger, that that disease or that report from the doctor is bigger. But Jesus, oh yeah, he's way over here. You can kind of take a picture with him in a photo if you want. You can hold him in your pocket. It's a cool little cute Jesus. But John says, but when I saw him, what did he see? I want to see Jesus in 2020. Who is he? Let's look at this again. Look at verse 10. Who is he? His voice is like a trumpet. It thunders. It's fearful when he speaks with power and authority. He's clothed in majesty. That's a royal robe and a sash. He's a judge-like king. When he sees a white hair of snow, it's for wisdom and virtue and purity. He says, I saw his flame, eyes of flame of fire, which were penetrating and searching and sees all things rightly. His feet were glowing bronze, holy with fire and indignation against sin. His mouth as a sword that every word he would speak was piercing and speaking life and death. His face was shining like the sun. You ever looked at the sun before or tried to? Remember those eclipse glasses they came out with a, a while back? I was looking at his face, but it was unclouded in strength, full of majesty and glory. Can you picture that? Can you even imagine what he saw? Who is he? He says, this is the son of man. This is that prophesied Messiah. This is the one who was humiliated and crucified in anguish on Calvary. But now when I saw him, I see him as the firstborn of the dead. He is the first one to be resurrected. And if he's resurrected, then I can be resurrected. He says in verse 18, he's the living one. He's alive forevermore. How many people put their hope in a Jesus like that? He is, he was, he is to come. In verse 8, he says he's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And where is he? It says he's seated on his throne. He's at the top of the food chain, baby. He, there's nobody above this guy. He's seated as ruler of the kings of the earth. Now think about this. They're writing to people in a town where there's a man who says, I am the greatest guy in the world. My name is above every other name. It's on every coin. If you don't bow down to me, you will die. And then he says, but then I saw Jesus and he was the true king. He was on the real throne and his name is above every other name. Do you see Jesus? In the midst of this world's chaos, church, in the midst of religiosity and tradition and division and denomination and hypocrisy and all the things you could say that is wrong with the world, John said, I saw him. Man, I really, really saw him. Man, wouldn't that be nice to be our prayer today? How would your life be different? I've only heard about him. I've only seen pictures from the Hubble telescope of him. I've only read articles about him. But then I saw him. It was real. It was there. I saw him. 
He says, who is he? I saw him. And I saw him on his throne. And what has he done? Verse 5, he says, he's loved us. He's released us from our sin by his blood. He's made us to be a kingdom of priests to God. He's gained the keys of authority in death in Hades, in verse 18. And in him, sin has no condemnation. The grave and death have no sting. That's what he's done. And then what is he doing? He says, and then I saw him. What was he doing? He's holding in his hand seven stars, which are symbolic of the messengers of the churches of the world. Maybe the pastors or the elders or the leadership teams of these churches that John is concerned about. And he says, I saw him walking through the lampstands. And John says, the lampstands were the church. Jesus seems so far off. But when I really saw him and who he was, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He is on the throne. He's ruling King of Kings. And what had he done? He'd rescued us from every power, dominion that seemed impossible, that seemed so big. And what was he doing? He was walking in the midst of his church and holding it up. You know, in your life today, you can go through an amazing amount of trials and tribulation. You can feel alone and far apart from Christ. But John said, but when I really saw him, what was he doing? He was in control. He was seated on his throne and he was in the midst of us. You ever gone through things in life? It seems like, man, where in the world is God? Where, where is God in this marital problem? Where is God in this financial situation? Where is God in this economy or the politics of this earth? Where is God and why isn't he here? And John said, but when you see him, he's in the midst of you. Remember the disciples in that moment where they were wondering if he really was alive or not? All of a sudden, poof, he's there in the middle of the room. He's in the midst of us, in the middle of the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Where was he? He was in the midst of them. How many people want God to be in the midst of your life this year? To see that he's here. He's in the middle of this work problem. He's in the middle of this marital problem. He's in the middle of my financial problem. Because who is he? What has he done? What is he doing? He's Jesus. He's alive forevermore. Have you been trying to hold Jesus this last year? Or is he holding you? You see, just like that little moon in my daughter's hand. You might have been trying to live your life in your own. But man, this world is so big. I'm, I'm caught up with so many things. I, I can only make it to church when I can make it to church. I can only make it to my Bible when I can make it to my Bible. And I can only pray when I have time to pray. And I got my little Jesus right here. And this world is so big. It's so busy. It's so important. But man, what if we just really saw him and realized that it wasn't us holding Jesus in our hand? But it was Jesus holding us. Get real with Jesus this year. What's really been going on in your life is the reason we have so many problems and and circumstances is that it's not that they're not real, but let's get it all in perspective for real, right? Let's get it all in perspective. Who is holding you? How encouraging it must have been for those churches to see him. That our king is greater than any earthly king, greater than any earthly power, And they might have thought him some small thing, but he's high and lifted up. Those who seek him will see him. Those who seek him will see him. Do you have Jesus clearly in view? That's what he saw. How do you see Jesus is one question. How do you see him in perspective? And the second question I'll ask you this morning is this. How can you? 
Or how do you see? How do I get to see him? How do you use this two, same sentence, two different ways of thinking? How do you see him? We're perspective. How do you see him? And how do I get to see him? These are two questions I think we should ask ourselves for this year and even for today, this week. How can I get to see him? Let's look at what John did. The first thing he says, he says, in the middle of Patmos, he says, I was going to church on the Lord's Day. I was, it was the Lord's Day. I was praying. I was seeking God. Can you imagine? Here's this dude. He's all alone on an island. Nobody else is there. Maybe some Roman soldiers and other prisoners. Some people think he was even in a cave. And, you know, when you're out of touch, you know, like this holiday season we just had, I didn't know what day it was. I just knew that song was true, and mom and dad are ready to, for school to start again. You know, that was true. You know, is it Wednesday, is it Thursday, whatever. I don't know what day it was. For John, maybe he writes, he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. That Lord's Day would have been Sunday for that early church. May it be, it was Tuesday. I don't know. But what I find encouraging is that John made up his mind. If I don't have a pastor, if I don't have a worship team, if there's not some pews, if there's nobody there to coach me into worshiping for God, whether I'm at a pew or I'm on Patmos, baby, I'm going to have church. I'm determined in my life. I don't care if I'm in a cave or I'm on the mountaintop, if I'm with thousands of other people or I'm by myself, I'm going to have church on Sunday. I'm going to be a part in the middle of trials and tribulation. The most important thing for John was still going to church. You see, we've learned these last few months at Sanctuary Church is not a time slot. It is not Sundays at 1030. It is not Sunday nights at 6. It is not Wednesday nights. It is not a small group. It is a group of people who are filled with the Holy Spirit of God and love Jesus. And they're on mission with him. So you can have church in a school, you can have church in a tent, in a brush arbor, you can have church on an island in a cave called Patmos. He says, I was in church. I was in church. Do you know you can have church in your car? You can have church in that break room right after that boss just cusses you out and blames you for something you didn't do. You can have church, and when you get that bad news report in the doctor's office, you can make it a point that right now I'm going to close my eyes and I'm going to commune with Jesus. I don't care what situation it is. You are the church. So guess what? You have church everywhere. I hope that we have church everywhere in LaSalle Parish, Louisiana. I hope that everywhere you go, that's church. Somebody say amen. amen. He says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. I made that Patmos be my pew. And John knew that Jesus had said to this woman at the Samaritan, the Samaritan woman at the well, he said, honey, there are those that say you got to worship at this mountain and that mountain. But I'm telling you something. God is looking for true worshipers who one day are going to worship in spirit and in truth. It's not going to be about location. It's going to be about location in your heart with the Holy Spirit and in the truth of Jesus Christ. He heard that. He knew, man, I'm in Patmos, but I'm going to be in church. He said, number one, how do you see Jesus? I was in church no matter where I was. Number two, he says, I was in the spirit. This guy had seen Jesus talk to Nicodemus. He knew that he told him, he said, Nicodemus, John chapter 3. 
Nicodemus, the only way you're going to get into this thing is you've got to be born again, born from above by the Holy Spirit. He heard Jesus say, Nicodemus, it's like the wind. It doesn't make any sense. You don't understand it, but you can see the effects of it blowing on the trees. That's the Holy Spirit. He, he was there with, like I said, that woman at the well. It's in spirit and in truth. He was there when Jesus said the comforter is coming, the spirit of truth who that nobody understands, but he's been with you. He's going to be in you in a moment. And he was there in that moment after Jesus had resurrected from the grave and he was standing in the midst of them. And the John chapter 20 says he breathed the Holy Spirit on them. John was there and John was there on that same day on Acts chapter two on the day of Pentecost when that same wind thundered and filled the room and that Holy Spirit lit upon them with flames and tongues of fire. John knew it wasn't just about a religion. It was about a relationship with a risen savior who sent his very spirit to live in them and upon them. He knew, you see, not enough to just have church. Church, for many people, can be religious and tradition. It can be a doctrinal stance or a position or a program. It can be about a pastor who preaches well or a worship team who sings well or certain preferences. See, that's all stuff. But for John, church was being in communion with Jesus no matter where I was. I don't need anybody to pump me up for Jesus. Jesus is pretty good on his own. Somebody say amen to that. He's pretty good on his own. I don't need a cheerleading squad to pump me up for Jesus. If I really know him, if I really see him, I can speak in tongues in my car. I can raise my hands at the doctor's office. I can stand for him in truth in the middle of my school because I've got him inside of me. And he says, I was in the spirit. I wasn't just singing some songs. I wasn't just reading some texts. But there's this secret place. We sang it about this morning. There's a place I long to see. You see, there's this relationship with God that goes beyond the page. That goes beyond just hearing the pastor talk. It's a spiritual connection with God only made possible by having a born-again relationship with the Holy Spirit. John says, how did I see him? Number one, I was in the Lord's day having church. Number two, I was in the Spirit. You see, you can't ever see Jesus without the Holy Spirit. Part of my background and my degree, I went to a secular university and I had professors that could speak ancient languages and read hieroglyphics and they could quote the, better, the Bible better than I could ever hope to imagine. But they were not saved. I always never understood how that made sense. They could quote the Bible, knew it front and back, and could read the ancient text, but did not believe it. Because you don't see Jesus unless you have the Holy Spirit. No man can come to the Father unless the Spirit draw him, Jesus said. And John was in the middle of worshiping in the Holy Spirit. It's a mystery. And then he says, I saw him. And how do I see him? He says, immediately as I saw him, what happened? I fell as dead. This is the guy who laid upon Jesus's chest, the Bible says. This is the guy who was there every secret time. Jesus' Jesus' best friend was John. And he says, my best friend, when I saw my risen best friend, when I saw the guy that I knew if he liked brown sugar Pop-Tarts or strawberry Pop-Tarts, I mean, I knew everything about this guy. When I saw him, though, now I fell 
as dead. What are you going to think you do when you're going to see Jesus? Oh, I'm just going to run up to him, and, and I'm going to sit on his lap, and we're going to talk about the good old times when I was four-wheeler riding. No, 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 no. When you see him in all of his glory, and all of his splendor, and all of his might, and all of his power, he says, I fell as dead. How do you see Jesus? Is he like this in your hands? Or you see him with 2020 clarity perspective? He's on top of the world, King of Kings. I fell at his feet as dead. That means that for us, church, if you want to get a true revelation of Jesus Christ, it means I will be broken of my sin. I will be humble before him. I will worship him with all of my heart, all of my life. I will love him with all that I've got. He'll be something I desire more than things of this earth. It's not a church service I go to, but it's a person I lay my life down before. And I say, God, I am a sinner without you. I am desperate for you. I can't do this life without you. But thank you for your grace. I humbly bow myself before you and adore you with all of my life. When you see Jesus... Here's the good news is this, though. When you get a clear Christ, you get a confident Christian. When you get a clear Christ, you get a confident Christian. Close with this. Listen, what did he do? He says, but then he did. Here's this, this dude, man, I couldn't even get up close to. What happened? When I saw him, though, church, I fell at his feet, but he came over to me with his right hand. The very hand he was holding me up with. The right hand is a hand of power, and in the Bible it's a hand of favor. You send somebody the right hand of fellowship. He touched me with his power, and he touched me with his fellowship. He raised me up, and what did he say? Do not fear. I know you're in a cave. I know you're on Patmos. I know men have exalted themselves trying to make it look like the things of this world are so big and I'm so far away and so small. But when I got into church in the spirit and I saw him and I fell down before him and made my life reverent, he came and he touched me. Church, it's time to get touched by Jesus. We don't talk about that very much anymore in this non-Pentecostal day that we have. It's so improper to just get a little bit loose with God and say, God, I want your power. I want your might. I want your Holy Spirit. I need you that this world doesn't seem so big, but God, I get you where you ought to be high and exalted sitting on your throne. So Lord, I bow my life before you. And guess what, church? When we as a people and as a church get on our face before God, he's such a good grace father he will come over to you he will touch you with his power he will touch you with his favor and he'll speak words of life words that'll help you overcome every situation and every circumstance and everything you might even go through in this life because he's the great i am john knew this guy as the one who said, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the door of the sheep, I am the resurrection and the life, I am the good shepherd, I am the way, the truth, the life, and I am the true vine. And he says, I am, John, I am the first and the last. Those who seek him will see him. 
I'm praying this year for us as a family to see Jesus with clarity and to get confident in who Christ is. Because if we see Him with clarity and we get confident in who Christ is, man, there's nothing we can't do. Amen? How do you see Jesus today? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Worship team, would you come? How do you see Jesus? How big is He in your life? Because those who will seek Him will see Him. And a clear Christ means a confident Christian. Father, I pray right now for every person in this room. God, I don't know all the things going on in their life. I don't know what things have been scaring them. God, I don't know what things have been intimidating them. God, I don't know what areas of compromise we have made to succeed or to feel like we belong in this world. God, it's so easy to sacrifice things and compromise to all the gods of this world. Lord, it seems like this world can be so big and Christianity and, and a relationship with you can seem so small and that you're so far away. But Father, I pray today for a church who will get on their face. For Christians in these last days who will not lose hope. Who will not to try to put Jesus in our hands. But God, that will know that we rest securely in His hands. Father, I pray today God, that no matter what we're holding on to, we'll let it go to get deeper in a relationship with Jesus Christ. God, today, Lord, let we make a decision. May we make a decision to, Lord, let it all go. The pride we hold on to, the unforgiveness maybe we're harboring. God, maybe the the need to belong, the need to be accepted, the need to succeed in life, All the things that this world says is so very important and so very big. But God, that we just flip that and say, Lord, I want to see you. God, I want to see you. You are the most desirable. You are the most exalted. Lord, forgive us, oh God, and encourage this body. Encourage them today. Lord, as we have real church, as we get in the spirit, as we get reverent before you, that you'll touch us. Would you just do that right now in your own way? Church, you don't need me.